Now, before we turn to the Word of the Lord, I thought there was a question and answer from the Catechism that would be helpful for us to read. So I'll read from the Catechism, pray, and then read from the Scriptures. Before I do that, it's good to hear the sound of the saints again as it begins to pour forward. It wasn't the same at home, even though Melanie carried us along as a family quite nicely. And it wasn't the same when there was 60 or 70 of us, but it's starting to feel more the same. So praise the Lord, they were able to be here together again. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 84. How does preaching the Holy Gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of what Christ has done, truly forgives all their sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rests on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. Let's pray together. Lord, in that we, we hear of the power and the gravity of the preaching of the gospel. That the gospel opens the gates to the kingdom for those who hear and confess and believe. But it closes the gates of the kingdom to those who will not believe and even to those who will say they believe. But as we read in just a moment, walk in darkness, not in the light. And so as we come to your word, this portion from 1 John, and as John speaks to us starkly, even very plainly, you would help us to hear afresh both the convicting part of the word and the comforting part of the word. Deal with each of us according to our needs today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be reading this morning from 1 John, the first chapter, and we'll read verses 5 to 10 as we get back into the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John. 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10. You can find that on page 1898 in the Pew Bible if you would like to follow along, which I always encourage. 1 John 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word has no place in our lives. You know, one of the most common fears is to be afraid of the dark. 
And maybe this is particularly pronounced among young children. This is why many have night lights in the room or like to sleep with the door open to crack with the hall light on. Others will make frequent trips to mom and dad's room for quite some time. And there is, there is a fear of the dark that exists. And the fear of the dark, I think, comes from two places. One, it comes from ignorance. We don't know what is out there, and that is that we are ignorant of whatever wickedness, whatever evil might be out there. When it is dark, we don't know if there's a boogeyman in the closet or a bad guy under the bed just waiting to come and get us. I remember I was a a young child, I don't know, maybe five or six, I remember very vividly, I was one night and I was... I was in bed and I looked towards the window and I was positive I saw the face of a guy who was going to get me. Now I was on the second floor of the house. And so I went running into my parents' room and I said, there's a guy in my window. My parents came in and my dad made a big show of opening the window and looking around and closing the window. I, I, was, I was afraid because it was dark. Now of course there was no man there, so I don't think there was. In my mind, I can still remember his very horrible, horrifying face, but there was a fear of the darkness because in that darkness is ignorance and wickedness. And here, John focuses our minds on darkness. The Bible uses darkness as a metaphor, uses darkness as a metaphor for ignorance of God's character of God's holiness, and then as well, ignorance of God's commands. And though the Scriptures speak of darkness, God has no darkness, and we see this in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him, Him being Jesus. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. There in verse 5, John picks up where we left off last week. This we have heard from him. Remember last week, if you were with us, John emphasizes his personal interactions with Jesus. Not just a, a personal relationship, but actually personal interactions. It emphasizes that he was an eyewitness, even a hand witness, an ear witness to the ministry of Jesus. He says, that which we have heard, which we have looked at, which we have seen with our eyes, and have touched with our hands, this we proclaim to you. And so John had emphasized against these Johnny-come-lately false teachers, John had emphasized that he, as an apostle of Lord Jesus Christ, that he should be listened to. And now John continues with that. He says, this is what we have heard. He emphasizes once again that he is an ear witness. And what is the message that he has heard from Jesus? God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. God has no ignorance. There is nothing which God does not know and nothing which God does not see. Perhaps for some of us that should send a little bit of a shot of fear up and down our spine. I think that would be appropriate as we see later from the passage. But light, light also symbolizes righteousness in the Scripture. And if there is no darkness in God, it means that there is no ignorance and there is no wickedness. Light is incorruptible. 
God is incorruptible. In him there is no wickedness, and even he is not able to be corrupted. There is no possibility of wickedness in God. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And so here John speaks to us of God's character. God is light. God is righteous. Now later on in this first letter of John, we will come to a very well-known, beloved truth about God where we'll read God is love. And for many people, this is a, a favorite passage. Some for very good reasons. Of course, it is a glorious truth about God. And some for very bad reasons. For some people, they'll say, God is love. And what they really mean by that is to excuse everything they do under kind of the category of love. God is a loving God. As long as whatever I do, I'm saying that I'm doing it under the, the canopy of love, God can have no problem with it. In, in other words, if God is love, whatever I love, God must love as well. We use it as kind of a, a way to use the, the character of God as a way to get away with our sins, to sweep away any sense of conviction. But before we can get to God is love and read that rightly later, we have to go through God is light. God's righteousness is every bit as much of his character as his love. He is love and he is light, never one at the expense of another. God's love never overwhelms his righteousness and his righteousness never overwhelms his love. He is both at the same time without any contradiction at all. And so God is light. And so we see this. Before we move on into verse 6, I want us to remember something that Jesus said and then as well take note of something that the author of Hebrews said. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, what we, what we see in that passage what Jesus speaks of himself, he says, I am the light of the world. And he uses the, the same language of darkness, which John remembers and conveys to us as well. But in Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, and John saying that God is light, if God is light and Jesus is the light, we see very plainly that John is telling us that Jesus is God. If God is light and Jesus is light, then they must together be equally divine. This is a good thing to remember. If, if ever the Mormon missionaries or the Jehovah's Witnesses or any other kind of, of group of, of heresy comes and presents to you a Jesus which is less than God, come to John, to 1 John, and say God is light. And then go to the words of Jesus in John 8 and say, Jesus says, I am the light. Jesus is God, and we see this in, in the letter to the Hebrews as well. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Do you see again the language of light? That He is light. He is radiance. He is the, he is the visible light. The exact imprint of the nature of God. So God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And that leads us then into what we consider together with John and the churches that he writes to, a number of conditional clauses, that is, if-then statements. We'll see these in verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And the first of these comes to us in verse 6. 
Verse 6, John writes again, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and do not live by the truth. You may recall from last week, again, if you were with us, that John is writing because there are heretics, uh, a couple of different kinds of heretics, who are trying to rip apart his church and have been at least somewhat successful in doing so. And John writes to correct these heretics. Now, one of these groups of false teachers was saying, essentially, what, what really matters most is the soul, is the spirit. As long as the soul, as long as the spirit is right, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. I can live in the flesh in any kind of, of wickedness that I want so long as my soul is right with God. And John assaults this false teaching with a, a devastating force. He says, no, those who walk with God, those who are in fellowship with God, do not walk in the darkness. Now what does that mean, walk in the darkness? It means to make a habit, a lifestyle of living in, in wickedness. It is not, as we see in just a moment, that we, that we come into it from time to time or that we do things which are sinful. It is to walk in the darkness, is to live continually in rebellion against God and against His commands. And if we say, while we walk in this darkness, while we walk in a life which is, which is continually in rebellion against God's commands, if we walk in the darkness, but say we have fellowship with God, then two things are of consequence for us. The first is that we are liars. We are liars about ourselves, but even perhaps more terribly, we are liars about the quality, the character of God. If we who are wicked and who walk willingly, even eagerly in wickedness, say that we have fellowship with God, we are saying that God joins himself to darkness with no problem. We profane and blaspheme the character of God. But secondly, and related to that, we deceive ourselves. Because if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie not only about God, but we lie to ourselves, but our own standing with God. You know, unfortunately, but not surprisingly, this was not a, a problem unique. This was not a problem unique to John's day. But it's still a problem in the church in our own day. And John Stott says, I think, very insightfully, he writes very insightfully, he says this, it is not uncommon for people to claim fellowship with God <coughs> who see no necessity either first to go to the cross of Christ for cleansing and forgiveness or thereafter to lead a consistently holy life. We are right to be suspicious of those who claim a mystical intimacy with God and yet walk in the darkness of error and sin. You know, it's, it's a rather obvious point, but I think that it's one worth repeating, probably repeating again and again as the Scriptures repeat it again and again, that there are almost certainly some, even among our own number, who have convinced ourselves that we are in fellowship with God, all the while, in reality, we are walking in darkness. And we have convinced ourselves that somehow we uniquely are able to couple together light and darkness 
in a way that even the Scriptures say is impossible. We think that somehow we are able to bring the darkness of our lives together with the light of God. But the Scripture is very plain that for those who walk in darkness, you cannot have fellowship with God. And we see this again and again and again in the Scriptures. Wherever there is light, darkness is forced to flee. The two cannot mingle. And we see this from Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Very familiar passage, I think, to many of us. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, we, I think our most common application of this passage is to marriage. We remind our children, remind young people, we we do, not couple, we do not couple light with darkness. We do, not, we do not marry the unconverted to the converted. We do not bring together in marriage one who loves God and one who is at enmity with God. Doing such a thing is foolishness. Now, if, if one spouse is converted after marriage and the other remains unconverted, that's a different thing altogether. But we do not marry together people who are in very different relationships with God. Parents, remind your children of this fact and remind them of it and put it upon their hearts before they think about getting married. But train our children up to think of this continually throughout their lives. Help them to know what to look for in a spouse before it's too late. But as well, we might apply this because Paul does not apply it exclusively to marriage. We might apply this to close friendships, to the closest of our friendships, to all those relationships which have the greatest effect upon us. That we ought not to unite ourselves closely, intimately with darkness. We see something similar from James, James 2, another well known passage. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you see that? Do you see, you believe that God is one. Oh, you have the right thought. The, the heretics in John's day, they might very well have had the right theologies of God, that God is one. But they didn't match the truth of God with the way that they lived. They had perhaps the right faith in some sense, but they didn't match it with what they did. They said that they had fellowship with God all the while they walked in darkness. You can say you believe in Christ all you want, but unless there is fruit of the Gospel in your lives, you have every reason to wonder if you actually do love God. Faith, which is true faith, works itself out and leads us to walk in the light and not exclusively in the darkness. Or again, from Paul, Romans 13, using the language of darkness and light. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling, and jealousy. Do you see again and again and again, not just from John, 
the best friend of Jesus, but from James, his brother, from Paul the Apostle, that Jesus knocked flat on his face with a blinding light on the road to Damascus. No matter which apostle or which writer it is, there's one common theme. You cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with God at the same time. You can either have the darkness or you can have the light, but you can't have both. You can't live together with light and darkness. And whoever thinks that he or she can couple light and darkness together is a liar. The question to ask ourselves perhaps might be, are you living a lie? Are you living a lie? You may be. All the while saying you have fellowship with God, perhaps you walk in all the sins or some of the sins of Romans 13. Drunkenness and sexual immorality, quarreling and jealousy, you live in greed and the love of money, racist, lazy, greedy, vulgar, violent, adulterous, or a blasphemer. Do those words characterize you? If so, you walk in the darkness, whereas the Word of God says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. For some of us, it's not even named among us, but even more than that, it's practiced by us. The Word of God says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. But you see those words, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Let those things not come out of your mouth, but for many of us, that is what comes out of our mouth. We've been having utility work done on the street by our house. And I have not been impressed with the language of some of the men who have been doing the utility work. They would certainly not fall very nicely or neatly in the instructions here in Ephesians 5. But I might expect that from those who walk in darkness. But for those who claim to walk in light, there should be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Whereas the Word of God says again in Ephesians 5.5, 5, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. I think that should arrest us in our steps. Make us take stock of where we are, of our hearts. Taking what John says here in verse 6, putting it together with what Paul says, and see that what's at stake is nothing more and nothing less than the kingdom of God. Our hope is an inheritance in the kingdom together with Christ. But if we do not, but if we do not walk in the light, we will not have that inheritance. Christians take sin seriously. And if we don't, then we're probably not Christians. I think some of us need to be crushed by this. Some of us need to hear these words and take a moment to look at our lives and realize that maybe we are just like those sitting in John's church or churches in Ephesus and say, I am walking in the darkness, all the while thinking that I am walking in the light and fellowship with God. But others of us will need comfort, as we see 
as we come into the next passage. But before we get to the next passage, we must remember something. We can deceive ourselves. And we can deceive others. But we cannot deceive God. You can't hide from God. The psalmist says that darkness is as light to him. David and Jonah found out the hard way that there's no lying to God. There's no running from God. You know, God is light. And sometimes light shines into ugly places and reveals ugly things. One of the greatest fears that many people have is getting caught. Whatever it may be caught doing. One of the greatest fears we have is being caught. Because being caught means that other people will see the darkness in our lives. And if other people see the darkness of our lives, they will probably see it for the ugliness that it is more than we will see it. But perhaps in addition to that, if other people see the darkness and the ugliness in our lives, then we will have to see it more plainly ourselves. And maybe we don't want to see it because we love the darkness. Being caught is a great mercy. Because having the Lord's light shine upon our darkness does open our eyes to see just how ugly it is. And it is far better to be caught and to have the light of God's grace and the light of God's mercy shine upon the darkness in our life. It is far better to be caught, even if it brings a little bit of embarrassment now, than it is to keep walking in the darkness outside of the grace of God. John then, having put the false teachers on blast, so to speak, turns and does give a comforting, an incredibly comforting word in verse 7. The second of our conditional clauses. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. John starts with if we walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? Well, it, it means very much the same thing as to walk in the darkness. It means that we walk that we walk regularly in ways of godliness. Now, it doesn't mean, as we'll see in the next verse and in the 10th verse, it doesn't mean that we walk in perfection. Far from it. If we claim that we uh, walk in perfection, then we are liars. But it means to be living a life seeking the glory of God, to be living a life seeking to live in the, in the way, live in obedience to God. The Westminster Children's Catechism, not the Shorter Catechism, the Children's Catechism, asks a very simple question. How can you glorify God? The answer, by loving Him and doing what He commands. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to love God and do what He commands. It means to seek with our hearts to have a life marked out by the fruit of the Spirit. It means to have a heart which is fixed on Christ. Even though we stray, yet we want to come back. Even though we stray, we desire to come back. It means to have a life which increasingly is defined by godliness. And if we walk in the light, if we come to God with that kind of sincerity and humility, then we have been reconciled to God. And we have had peace with God. And John gives this wonderful assurance. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all 
sin. It's like the language of doing laundry. It's working out a spot. It's getting something clean. You know, I've, I've learned that to get blood out of a garment, you run cold water through it, and it's almost like magic. It comes right out. I wish I would have learned this years ago. I only learned it recently. But you know, this might be a little bit different way. This is like, this is like stains in our garment that are being washed out by blood. Washed out, as John says, by the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. What once was dirty is now clean. There is hope. There is a sure and certain hope in the blood of the Son of God for those who will come out of darkness and into the light. Moving forward then into verse 8, and I'll read verse 10 as well. We see another one of these, or two of these conditional clauses. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Now, there is a pride there is a pride in us that, like that, like that first group, says, I don't need the law of God. I can have God without His righteousness. I can have God without obedience. I don't need that part of what God says. I can have God without His law. There is another, there is another pride that says, I have kept the law. I don't need God's grace. I don't need God's law on one side. I don't need God's grace on the other. I have not sinned. I have no sin. And if I have no sin, I have no need for a Savior. Remember the, the rich young man who comes to talk to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He lists them off for him. And he says, all these I have kept. That's what, that's what, that's what John is saying. No, no, no. You're a liar. That man was a liar. Perhaps not even meaning to be, but he had deceived himself. You go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and sin isn't just something that happens out here, although that I'm sure is true of us, but sin is something that happens in here as well. If we say we have not sinned, then the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, then we do not acknowledge a need for a Savior. If we do not acknowledge a need for a Savior, then we are not saved. Jesus says very plainly, I am the way and the truth and the life. If we reject the Savior, then we do not walk on the way which is to walk in the light. We cannot deceive ourselves. But once more, we receive John's merciful words in verse 9. Verse 9, we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession. If we confess our sins, confession is, is necessary. It is a necessary part of the Christian life. And I don't mean that I have to set up a, a confession booth and you all walk by one at a time confessing all your 
deep, dark secrets to me through some kind of a veil. I don't, I don't want to know everybody's deep, dark secrets. I don't know how the priests do it. That would just crush me if I knew everything wrong that everybody had done while trying to bear the weight of my own sin. I, 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 would, I would hate that. What I mean by confession is that we are honest with ourselves and with God about who we are as sinners. We must confess our sin. And I don't mean like this. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. That's not confession. Right? That's trying to excuse sin. When you use the words, we're all sinners, what you oftentimes mean is we're all sinners, so it's not that big of a deal. If everybody is a sinner, well then it can't be that bad. But it is that bad. Whether you are a sinner and nobody else is, or whether you're a sinner and everybody else is, doesn't matter. The fact is that you're a sinner and you need to confess that. And saying, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, is not acknowledging what you need to do to deal with the Lord. So I think it's a good practice not just to confess that you are a sinner, but to confess specific sins. You get on the level, so to speak, with God. And you acknowledge to Him and with Him the gravity of sin, laying them so far as you are able one by one to the Lord knowing that when we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That we are not laying ourselves before Him that He can crush us again and again and again, but laying ourselves before Him that He can forgive us again and again and again. Confession is liberating. David found this to be the case. Psalm 32, verses 3-5, to this is after David's great sin. He said, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Maybe you can relate to that first part. Living in the hiddenness of the sin. Refusing to acknowledge it to the Lord and perhaps even to yourselves and feeling the weight of it. David is very good at, at sort of giving a, a verbal illustration. Helping us to relate to him in his emotions. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You get the sense that God's that God's conviction was just pushing him down. Until finally, he says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David brought his transgression, his sin, before the Lord. And the light of God's grace chased away the darkness of his sin. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I think sometimes it's good to confess our sins to each other. I, I don't mean necessarily we have to stand up here and, and list off a list of our sins. I think it can be helpful to confess our sins perhaps in just a small group of people that we trust. 
to tell them whatever sins are afflicting us and whatever sins we are giving ourselves over to. Because when you bring something into the light, you see it more plainly. And when we confess our sins, even just to a small group of people, we see more plainly how ugly they are. And as we see more plainly how ugly they are, we will want to indulge in them less. But even more than that, we give other people permission to ask us about our sin. There is strength in numbers. That's why the Lord gave us a church. And that perhaps is why the Lord gave us friends. And so if we confess our sins to one another, it will help us, by God's grace, to hate our sin all the more, to defeat it, and to walk in the light. It is far better to confess our sins now than to wait until we stand before the bar of God's judgment to do it. We will have to confess our sins one day or another. I think it's better to do it today than on that day. But I want you to notice the assurance. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Once again, God's character is on display. Where is our hope? Our hope is grounded in God. That's what we see. John, is, John does not say, well, you'll just be forgiven. He says, God will forgive you. And why? Because He is faithful and He is just. What is God's justice? What, what comfort does God's justice have? Well, God is just in that He realizes, He knows, He has ordained that sin deserves a punishment. But sin deserves one punishment. And if Christ has already been punished for a sin, he will, not, he will not punish it a second time. God's justice in this respect is good news for us. If Christ has died for our sins, then our sins are dead. And if Christ has died for our sins, then God's justice has been satisfied and He will not exact that justice upon us. And how do we know this is true? Because God is faithful. God has said that He will forgive our sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, as you, and you will be saved. If God has said He will forgive us our sins, then He will forgive our sins. You don't walk out of here with kind of a, a fingers crossed, legs crossed, just hoping that somehow maybe God will forgive our sins. But no, if we confess our sins, God is just. He has already forgiven our sins in Christ and He is faithful to His promise to save us from our sins. If we confess our sins, God deals with them for us. Our hope is not in ourselves. It is not in the words of our confession. Our hope is in God. And hope placed in God is hope well placed. So perhaps you came in here walking in the light. Good. Keep walking in the light. Confess the sin. Walk away from the sin. Come back to God again and again and again and again. Perhaps you came in here walking in the darkness. Then I hope the words of John hit you across the head. Or perhaps they stabbed your soul. And I hope that if you came in here walking in the darkness that you will see that it is time to come into the light confess the sin, and to walk out of here a different person than you came in here. The Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun, and it's true. 
In John's day, there was not darkness only out there, but there was darkness in the church. In our own day, there is not only darkness out there, but there is plenty of darkness in the church. But the solution to the darkness was the same in John's day as it is in our own. The solution to the darkness in John's day was Christ. The solution to the darkness in our day is Christ. He is the light of the world. If we are going to walk in the light, he will put us there. And so if you need to be comforted by the message of the gospel today, then may it be. And if you need to come out of the darkness today and the light, then may that be too. Let's pray. Great God and Heavenly Father, you have loved us enough to send the light of the world that in him we would no longer walk in darkness but in light. And in him and by the Holy Spirit you have given us the power to say no to all those sins listed in all of those passages we read to the immoralities and the jealousies, the greeds, the love of money, to say no to the racism, the laziness, the greed, the vulgarity, the violence, the blasphemy. In Christ, you've given us the grace to walk in the light as you are light. So, Father, for those of us who have confessed our sin, For those of us who have come, as John has said, to walk in the light as you are in the light, or bring us comfort, bring us comfort as John has said, that the blood of Jesus, your Son, has purified us from all unrighteousness. And for those of us who are in need of comfort, remind us again of the words that John has said, that you are faithful and just and forgive us our sins. For those of us who came in the darkness and pierce our hearts with light, let us walk out of here changed persons. Maybe some of us have walked in the light and now we stumble. We waver in some kind of twilight. We ask that you would reach out and bring us back to the narrow road that leads to life. Not to leave us blind not to leave us on the broad road that leads to destruction, but bring us back to Christ. Always, please always bring us back to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.